Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. Well, welcome everyone to the last episode of Every Step Podcast. It's our bonus episode because we wanted to talk about everything that we've been hearing about through the year and also um, things that we think might happen next year. So the things that are trending, it's great to see so many of our past guests that we have here today. Fantastic. I just want to call out a a couple people. I want to say, Mello, if I see that you've gotten one more award for your book, (laughs) (laughs) Beating Burnout and Finding Balance, well done and congratulations. There's not enough room on your banner anymore to put all the awards. (laughs) So well done. And and also, Marina, congratulations on your new book, And So He Did. And that's out now. And that's a fantastic book. And also, Because She Can is also one of Marina's books. So we've got... um, some great books out there that that I would recommend people have a look at. But let's get this thing kick, kicked off now so we can talk about it. And there's a few things that Christina and I found that um, that are really topical. And one obvious is working remote and working from home and what our company's doing. And I went in and I went on the internet and I found all kinds of different things about working from home and what people are saying. And you can pretty much get as much for as against, but there's a lot um, of surveys out there. And one I want to uh, highlight, it's the KPMG CEO Outlook, Outlook survey. And that found that 64% of leaders globally predict a return to in-office working by 2026. And further stats show that in the U.S., 90% of companies are intending to implement their return to office plans by the end of 2024. Now, I went in and I thought, okay, which companies are doing this? And I was shocked by the ones that are already implementing it. Back to work, J.P. Morgan, back to work five days, Amazon, Salesforce, Apple, BlackRock, Citicorp, Disney, the happiest place in the world. Get back to work for four days. uh, Goldman Sachs was five days. Google, IBM, three days. NAB, five. I mean, these are big companies and there's a lot of tech companies in there, which you'd think would be the ones that would be more supportive of working from home and be able to do it. But there's obviously... Um, a lot of companies have gone, hey, you know what, this is not really working. Um, And they're stating the reasons being things like creativity and productivity, difficult to to manage teams, and also career uh, progression for the younger ones. So so what do you think? What's what's the views out there? and, And what are you guys finding? Who wants to have a go? Vanessa, Vanessa, you have a crack at this. Uh, yes, I can talk for a while on this one, so I'll try to keep it fairly succinct. Um, yeah, we look at this from a performance perspective, and I think there's two angles to this. There's the uh, the productivity or the perceived productivity from the individual versus the productivity from the business. Um, and so while there's so many people claiming that, oh, I'm way more productive at home, uh, company profits are not suggesting that. So we need to make sure that whatever is, uh, you know, th- th- there's no point everyone going, oh, yeah, this feels great if if the company is actually not being able to sustain the profits. And the thing that we are hearing on a very regular basis from very senior people, CEOs and managing partners, especially at accounting firms, because you can measure this, um, is that, you know, they're, they're now paying 20% more for um, for the same productivity as they were getting. Well, that's, that's not productive. So um, I think you're right. It depends on the nature of the team. It depends on the nature of the work that they're doing. Um, But there's a lot to be said for seeing a lot of bottlenecks because it takes a lot more, obviously in our speak, we call cognitive energy. It takes a lot more cognitive energy rather than just finding out by osmosis by the person sitting next to you where things are up to and things like that. So, um, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm all about working remotely. Um, none of our team has actually worked ever in the same office. So <laughs> I'm very, very understanding of that. But I think, you know, when you've got people that are doing 
collaborative work and creative work and things like that. I think there's a lot of bottlenecks that are starting to happen. And when you've got bottlenecks in workflow, you've got psychosocial hazards, you've got people then getting frustrated, um, you've got negativity creeping in. Um, so I can see where they're going with that. I think the deal is you either need to um, you either need to severely upskill leadership at all levels to be able to cope with remote, and that's a whole different kettle of fish. So leadership outcomes, uh, research is showing, is really the same as what they were pre-pandemic, but obviously in a hybrid or remote environment, you need to go about them completely differently in a lot of cases. And so I think if a lot of companies haven't invested in really upskilling their leadership, it's just easier to go back to do things the way that they were doing. It takes less cognitive energy. So I think in these cases, you know, they've taken the easier approach of just going back to the way they do things earlier rather than necessarily upskilling leaders to make sure that what is productive for the individual is also productive for the business. So I can see where they're going with that. Any other perspectives? Yeah, just a question around, you mentioned there around profitability. How are they actually identifying um, the lack of profitability when someone's working remote? That was quite interesting. Yeah, so when you look at the profitability of the business, that's actually quite easy to measure um, from their overall productivity and utilisation on their client rates. You know, they're they're the ones, um, accounting firms and legal firms, this is very easy to measure because that's exactly how they're measuring profitability is um, is how much is it costing them to, to service that client? Is it in line with, um, with what their forecasts are for that particular client? Um, is the utilisation really where it needs to be? And in a lot of these cases, the utilisation is not where it needs to be. And therefore, you know, you can see why they're looking at doing things differently. So on the one hand, we've got... Um, productivity allegedly going down and on, on on the other hand we've got a scenario where people are saying we're burnt out so Mello what's what are you seeing what are you hearing in terms of the other side of that coin burnout yes um thanks for jumping in there that was really interesting actually uh, Vanessa really interesting to hear that actually so that was good to hear some of those perspectives on the side of burnout what I'm noticing personally like I'm going into a lot more workplaces physically and you know going into places and doing seminars and workshops in the room so to speak and yeah just noticing a lot more fatigue and burnout and exhaustion and, and people are vocalizing it even more than they used to some of them would try to hide it and mask it, but now people are openly talking about it. Um, it's been a tough couple of years, of course, and our resources have been low. And you know, post-pandemic, there's still a bit of residual, almost like a hangover from the you know pandemic, and our you know, cups haven't been quite filled up there. So yeah, I'm 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 seeing a lot more you know of it in individuals and in, in workplaces. What do you think they could do? To, to improve that? Is there something that you, you would go, okay, I think they need to be doing this? Yeah, sometimes it's actually the most fundamental, you know, 101 self-care, to be honest. Uh, most of the time, it depends on where they are on the spectrum of burnout. So some, some of them are you know, earlier on where it's chronic stress and it's that busy time of the year right now, getting to the finish line type thing. So there's that sort of thing to manage that. You know, there's people that are more on the other end of the burnout, what I call the sort of orange and red zones, and it's a matter of then you know, really maintaining your self-care, you know, eating well, sleeping well, exercising, meditating, all of these things. Because when I do ask the question in the room, you know, what are the first things that you let go of when you get stressed or busy? And it's exactly those things. You know, it's, I won't go to the gym tonight. I won't exercise tonight because I'm just too busy. I've got too much to do before the end of the year. But these are the actual things that we need you know, to maintain our energy and you know, our physical and mental energy. One of the one, things that one hundred one self care, you know, really like you know, get back to basics mentally and physically. One one of the things that I've heard people say that that the the reason why they are feel more burnt out is because they aren't separating work and home, and because they are working from home, they're actually, in their view, working longer, but they're not. It's yeah. like work is sitting right there on your you know, your dining room table and it's there constantly and, and they don't necessarily have that 
a home office where they can break away from, but it's just a constant. And even on the week weekend, they're seeing it where there was a little bit more of a breakaway when they were working in an office, leaving, going home. Have you, are you hearing things like that? Yeah, definitely. All those points are all valid. So one thing at home that I do hear is people don't take enough renewal breaks so they don't stop and get up and chat with somebody, go for a walk around the block or go chat with one of their colleagues. So they just keep trying to push through. And, and sometimes we just you know, keep pushing through even when we are tired and we are fatigued and the quality of our work you know, is not going to improve. So the first thing is giving yourself permission to stop. Even if it is, if you're working from home, go out side and pat the dog for five minutes or go for a walk around the block just to you know to break that cognitive load so that's one thing and the other thing is creating clear boundaries like am I working or am I home you know sometimes our workplace can be literally the next room you know and and you know going from one room to the next our mind can still be at work I always encourage people to create a separator even if it is you know finish your work at the end of the day and go for a walk around the block and then when you come back you are home so to speak because that transition often in, on the commute, it might be from work to home, you know, driving home or catching the train home, is that sort of wind down time. So creating those natural transitions at home. I personally work downstairs. I'm, I'm downstairs in an office right now. My family's upstairs. So I don't just walk straight up the stairs. I actually walk out the back door and walk around the block, pick up my dog, take him for a walk around the block, come back, and then it's like now I'm home and physically get changed out of my work clothes like my, my business shirt and get changed into my home clothes. So it's a very physical reminder. Okay, I'm home now. My children can see I'm home now. Yeah, so creating those, you know, mental and physical boundaries as best we can. Absolutely. Anyone else on that subject? Well, I, you know, Christine and I have had this conversation a lot about the ones that are in their 20s and 30s that aren't getting the same kind of um, work, you know, can making the work connections and the and and learning from their teams. If they're working from home, they're not getting the same kind of experience. And what, how is that going to affect them later on? And you know, you kind of go. That's where what when I was in my twenties and thirties, that's where I made those connections. That's where I learned a lot. So does anybody want to comment on on what's happening with the, those generations? How are they going to overcome um, missing out on, not knowing what they don't know kind of thing? Luke, you're in your 30s. <laughs> yeah, I'm, la I'm laughing there, Judith, because I was like, is this directed at me? <laughs> Everyone else is silent. Um, yeah, well, I guess it's interesting for me. I mean, I've been out three years now consulting and working very remotely. And yeah, I spent 15 years in the agency world uh, amongst a lot of people and, and that high vibe energy types environments. But uh, yeah, I guess probably I don't, I don't know what's going on right now with, with that generation because I've been out, out of that world. Um, but yeah, I, I, for, for me, I, I will raise a point around sort of the intent of, of one's role. And I've all, always looked at it uh, myself as well about, you know, the, the tasks at hands and, uh, and what you're doing from a JD and a job description point of view and just your emotions around, you know, the intent and the purpose and the why of day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, what you're actually doing and what, what your brain's doing whilst you're doing that activity, whether or not you've got a negative connotation around it or a positive one and whether or not you're sitting there going, I'm literally doing this task because I'm getting paid really well. Therefore, when I get paid well, the outcome of that is X, Y, Z, and I can pay the mortgage, get the boat, whatever, have that freedom. Um, but yeah, for, for a lot of people, I guess that it, they, they don't, they're not, they're not deeply thinking about the intent and the emotion of, of, the status of of the brain chemistry, right? I guess, as they're performing each task, um, and they don't, they they haven't set a very clear intent and a, a, a clear purpose and a clear why, and therefore you're kind of like a, a hamster on a hamster wheel if if that isn't clear and there's no vision around that. Um, but as I get into sort of my mid thirties, I um, I've uh, I guess become a little bit more mindful about that from a minute by minute perspective of how I'm feeling task by task 
what that means on a deeper level and then um and then you yeah you tend to have a clearer outcome all that works for me i hope that kind of makes sense (laughs) karen what's your perspective you've raised your hand i'm looking at this from an educational perspective so when people explore running training for me with me and originally moving it all line was great online was great because they could record it and they could it felt really good for everyone that you know if people didn't turn up or someone was sick on a certain day they had a recording now i'm seeing a bit of a shift towards we'd like to run it in the office however it's really tricky to coordinate everyone in the office on the same day because if they have set days that they've got people to agree to come to the office they're normally having meetings and so people have sort of been trained that if I'm going to do professional development I'm going to do it online I think the pandemic did that and so I can see there being real benefits especially if you're a kinesthetic learner which means you learn by doing to have if you are going to move back to a model where you've got people in the office more often to also start to consider when are our training days, when are our meeting days. And then I think the issue comes down to how much control do you want to have or can you have about how people congregate? Because I think we've got really used to doing things. If you've moved from a in the office to a complete online environment or you've never even, you've done your whole induction online. I've heard of a number of people who've done their whole induction online. They've never met any of their coworkers. I think there's a real challenge as people transition back to think about, well, what are the days that we're socialising? What are the days that we're learning? What are our meeting days? And I've, I've seen a shift recently that it used to be we want to run all our training online and now know actually we see the idea of everyone coming together, not just being what they're going to learn, but the fact that they're going to have that time together. Yeah, I think there's a real danger in some ways with just online because it can become a ticker box exercise. Yes, I've ticked that box. I've got that badge. I've managed that compliance aspect of of what I need to do. And I know all of us have have played those games in the past. And there's that challenge in terms of that bit around osmosis. And and it's even down to really fundamental things around um, the right etiquette of right corporate behavior in terms of your your etiquette around how you engage with people, how you behave in meetings, how you there's just a whole bunch of those things that we all took for granted because we had it role modeled or we were slapped on the wrist or you know chastised politely. But where does that happen now? Those kind of um, they're the harder, softer, I'll kind of call them the, the softer things, but they're the they're a lot of them, those are the important things that build trust and build your personal brand and and those sorts of things. And, and that's that's the piece that's you can't just do online. So that's the challenging piece. Well, part of the um attracting people to your organization is based on the culture. But it's not only attracting, it's losing people as well to other organizations. So when I was doing the executive search, that was very, very powerful and important because it was very difficult for me to be able to headhunt somebody out of a company if they were um, bonded to the organization. So one of the things that they've said in these surveys about the fact that the reason why they want people back to the office is is for uh, corporate culture reasons because the people are less bonded to the organization, <laughs> and that has a direct effect on re- retention. And the, so, when I used to headhunt people, if they weren't bonded to the organization, I could get them in for a conversation, and I could get them to the other the other company but if they were bonded and they were saying things like no we have a really good corporate culture and I really like the people that I work with and it's very collaborative and you know we even socialize together you know they're not doing that (laughs) If, if you haven't spoken to your team any more than on zoom so if you haven't had that face-to-face collaboration with any of your team throughout the year and it's all been via Zoom, how bonded can you possibly be? So those are issues of of retention that companies need to think about. And um, I mean, we had Darren 
Murphy on uh, one of our early episodes, who's a remote specialist, said, you've got to be intentional. So if you are going to go down that track of making sure you have a hybrid or or everybody's working from home, you've got to be intentional about how you bring people together because if they're not bonded to your organization, then where's the loyalty? Anybody have a comment on that? Vanessa, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. Culture is such an important part of it and culture should be documented no matter what your situation is, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, shouldn't really matter. Um, whatever makes it great, you know, that needs to be um, a lot more written than unwritten. It takes one person that didn't get the unwritten memo to, uh, to really upset the apple cart sometimes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's super important to make sure that the culture is there. And I think it is really important, like we say, you know, that that's always been an outcome of leadership that we should be getting. But you have to work really hard to do that in a hybrid environment compared to what you would do in any other environment. So, you know, again, it all comes down to cognitive energy for us. People are, if people are overspending cognitive energy or having to overspend it because they've got to learn how to do things differently, you know, that's a big part of what's leading the, leading to the fatigue. Um, as far as we, as far as we look at it, um, you know, the whole idea of leadership is to make sure that your team is optimizing their cognitive energy. And if it's just hard to bond with someone because you're on a Zoom screen, like it's just hard. <laughs> so, you know, there, there needs to be some some workarounds for that. But yeah, we're definitely seeing that engagement is lifted the more that people can spend um, time in the office together. Um, interestingly, the the Gallup, uh, the latest Gallup surveys showed that uh, people, the highest incidences of stress is actually happening when people are in a hybrid environment. So the lowest levels are actually when people are working fully in the office. So that's kind of counterintuitive compared to most people are saying, oh, but, you know, I'm really stressed if I have to come into the office. Um, really? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's some things there. And when you think about it, if we have to be that intentional about what we're doing when and how, that takes a lot more cognitive energy. Planning just got a whole lot harder. So, you know, I think when you just, when all days are the same, you don't have to give cognitive energy to, oh, but that's a Tuesday and therefore can I do that kind of work on a Tuesday or can I set that meeting at a different time? Like you're just adding a whole layer of, of cognitive complexity with that. So I think that's something yeah. for people to think about as well. Absolutely. Then that is a very good entry into our third topic which is resilience and sensitivities and Christina and our favorite word triggers <laughs> trigger is our is our word this year that we just don't want, don't want to hear anymore so the question is it's because of everything that's going on and and <laughs> I mean, there's a trigger warning on everything. I mean, let's just, and they actually found that trigger warnings actually cause more anxiety to the people that see it at the beginning than it would be if they didn't have the trigger warning. But to the point of the fact that we aren't collaborating and we don't know our colleagues as well, then are we getting triggered by things or do or are there more sensitivities? Are we more sensitive to what someone says or because we they said it over Zooms or didn't come across the same way or didn't, you know, they took it wrong. Sensitivities and resilience. Um, is that, are there, are people more sensitive these days and less resilient? What does everybody think? Or what are you experiencing? Absolutely. Do, do you want me to put a trigger warning on here? <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah, we're overly sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. And what's caused that? A uh, variety of reasons. I, I certainly think um, post pandemic has, you know, I mean, it's such a catastrophic, catastrophic, stressful time for everyone. And I feel as though the, the, the politically correctness and our sensitivity has definitely been heightened. Um, I probably, yeah, I, look, I'm not a clinical psychologist, so I probably won't go any deeper than that. I'm sure, sure Vanessa's probably got more, more um, to say around why we are sensitive, but yeah. Well, I'm seeing it anyway from a, from an anecdotal personal approach. I'm certainly seeing a lot of sensitivity around not only my business network, but social network as well. 
Marina, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I, I, I just, I was just listening to what Luke said. Um, I'm, I have two people that work from home, um, my son and his his partner, uh, one three days a week um, and works two in the office and he works full time at home. And uh, yeah, I I come from a, grew up in a different era, different environment and yeah, everybody's so sensitive. Everybody, we are the most disconnected human beings in the history of human time. We are so disconnected and we are continually being disconnected by keeping us away from work. There is no purpose that, yeah, give me a game, give me a, let's let's text each other, let's not call each other. And I mean, to get up and to have a shower and to go to work. I see these kids, they work in pretty high profile jobs. And, you know, I'm watching them and I'm thinking, are you working today? You know, they're dedicated to their jobs, but it's not like being at work and being dedicated to, to you know, you've got the staff, you've got your work colleagues, you see the good and the bad in people, you learn about people. What are you learning from home? And who was it that said before, you know, oh, the, the gentleman that said he has to walk around the back and come back in like, that's great. If How many people are going to be that disciplined to do that? I, I don't see it. I just think it's uh, we are political correctness um has destroyed us as a human race social media has destroyed us as a human race we are disconnected why are we even talking about not connecting people back into the workforce i just think it's wrong and i I feel strongly about it because i see it every day i see what they've turned into these kids do you see your work colleague do you just talk to them on those zoom do you do you see people on the train do you see what what's happening in the world like and then you work from home, you eat at home, you live at home, and then you watch movies at home. And when does it stop? When do we go back into the world of the living? Yes, COVID happened. And we all had to go through COVID. But we've become so entitled, so sensitive, so precious. Everyone is so precious. Children are becoming so precious. We are becoming so precious. Where is it going to end up? And we well, all want it our way, don't we? We all want outcomes to be our way. Correct, correct. And for me, it's just a bit, just sitting back and watching it all and thinking, what's happening? There's an eeriness. There's an eeriness in the world at the moment. And unless we go back to some normality, what I call normality, um, and stop making excuses for everybody, like we have to tip your toe around the people that we employ. Well, you know, I, I, I would advise that at the end of the day, I would advise people who, you know, especially the younger ones, like I've always said in the 20s, get out of the house because yeah. nothing's happening at home. That's right. And opportunities and things that are that you haven't experienced yet aren't going to happen at your house. That's right. So, and the things that, the exciting things and the fun things and all the things that I can think about just in that, in those eras, they surely didn't happen at home. They right. happen, you know, you go into work and, and it's usually surprise stuff you know that you know you just might talk to somebody on the way to work or you meet somebody on the way to work or you're in the city and you're you know activity just the act the activity of it all um, and the buzz the but you know that I just think there, I mean obviously there's a place for flexibility for work and there needs to be flexibility and there needs to be probably a hybrid thing but you know the intent like get out and see people and do things and you know, what is it that Dr. Simone said when she came on, Christina? Get up, uh, get up, dress up, show up. And show up, yeah. yeah. You know, and it's so true. You've got to, you know, you got to be out there. you got to be in it to win it, basically. And um, otherwise, I think people will look back and go, what where happened? did those years go? And what was, and what happened? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. I did my work from home, but nothing else happened. Karen, you had something to say? I'm reminded of an episode that you had, the Dear Digital, We Need to Talk with Dr. Christie, and there's two other books that I think speak to what Marina was exploring then, and it's this idea. It's called Stolen Focus, a book by Johan Hari that really explores what is going on, and it's a really interesting book to read uh, to explore. Well, this idea of, Marina, eeriness is probably the best word I've heard used to describe this sort of uncomfortable feeling of lack of human connection 
going on at the moment. And there's another one by Cal Newport called Digital Minimalism that explores what it means to embrace tech in your life in a way that's meaningful. And Mello, I wish that everyone did what you did and sort of maybe adopting that idea of, you know, walking out the door, taking the dog for the walk, and that's the signal of the end of my day and walking back in the door and changing the clothing. As someone who works from home, you feel that sense of disconnectedness. So I love the idea of people going back into the office and requiring us all to go in and help them. But certainly I think there is a, uh, there's probably, and someone um here we'll have a, a more clinical, a, a stronger clinical perspective on this. I've seen a number of research reports coming through connecting, I think it was from the Royal Children's Hospital post-pandemic, an increase in mental health issues and some sort of connection between social media consumption. That makes sense. Well, you know, you can look on your phone at the end of the day and see, see how, how much you've been on social media. And sometimes that can be a real eye opener and you go, no, that wasn't me. Somebody must have found my phone. <laughs> it's like, it's like it, I get shocked sometimes. And I go, oh, my God. And, and it might be you think, just put the phone down and, and, and again, be intentional about what you like. Why do you want to be on your phone doing social media and stuff on the weekends? Lost in someone else's world. Not your own. In someone else's world, in someone's, what is going on? Yeah. And then we spend our times being either envious or wishing we were that, we had that life rather than living our best life and, and getting out there and being What's in nature creating? and meeting people and creating connections. Yes. And that's, yes. that's when we get up, that's when the upset happens, when our life doesn't meet the life that we perceive we should be having. That we see for three hours a day sometimes. Some people stay on there for up to three hours a day looking mm -hmm. into other people's lives or more lost. And where's life? Life's just going past. And what we're engaging in fantasy. When well, and time sat by 12, time sat by what, <laughs> or 300. How many years <laughs> are you like losing right. from that point of view? And, you know, I, I can tell you right now, when you look at LinkedIn, or looked at, I'll use LinkedIn as an example. When I see people's profiles, and because I know a lot of them through executive search years ago, they haven't done half the stuff they've said they've done. I mean, there is over-exaggeration going on everywhere. And, you know, so don't be jealous of other people and really just kind of go, yeah, just divide that by two and maybe we're somewhere close to it. <laughs> <laughs> because that they seriously there there is a lot and, and the same thing with Instagram and Facebook and everything else. So um yeah. you can't you don't want to be worried about what other people do, just be worried about what you're doing and what how you're living. Yeah, other people's opinions are none of my business. Yeah. Exactly. And what people, what, what, what people what people say about you is more about them than it does about you. Yes. That's <laughs> very good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I, I should clarify um, other people's opinions of yourself and none of your business. Of, of course, we care about other people's opinions in a collaborative, intelligent conversation. Mm -hmm. Well, and remember, at the old saying is about resilience, sticks and stones will break my <laughs> Now you're talking, Judith. You, you, you really have written books before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had that one thrown back in my face, though. I've said that sticks and stones one to a, a teenage, my teenage son who turned around and said to me, yes, but you've also said, Mum, that words are powerful. <laughs> the people that mind don't matter and the people that matter don't mind. But how, how do we solve some of this? Because we've we've actually kind of labelled all the issues, and we're going into a new a new year, a new a new few years, and we've identified a whole bunch of problems. And if I listen to to Vanessa, it's like it's going to mean we all have to work harder to be normal, adapt to let go of. I mean, it's going to be hard work to let go of some of our addictions around social media and those sorts of things. It's going to be harder to be a leader, to be more intentional. You know, what, what do the next few years look like against this backdrop of 
challenges that we've just all been speaking about for the last, you know, however long. Because it's not straight. It's not straightforward. We're we're going to continue to see tension because we're adapting. We're changing. We're having to learn. We're having to be different. We're having to try new things that are uncomfortable. Yeah, great question. I've got one small solution, Christina, and it could be along the lines of buying one of the Alcatel phones from back in the nineties that literally have zero apps on them. And I only <laughs> and I only say that because I um, mean here in New Zealand we've got the second highest youth suicide rates in the OECD, and that statistic came out literally eighteen months after um, the implementation of social media and when Facebook and Instagram and everything was born. So, look correlation versus causation but if we can do those simple things i mean i had a guest on the chat show the other day she literally has like a nokia phone that only has calling and texting and obviously that that uh, the purpose of that is is reducing screen time right because the screen time is increased by the many apps that we've got on our phone um that is one small step in the right right direction um getting back on a phone for texting and calling purposes as opposed to having 800 apps on your phone might be and one. remove all Definitely. those apps that have all the gamification in there that get you sucked in. Yeah. And they do, they get you sucked in. Well, it's a, they're addictive in nature. They're, right. it's, they're, tr- they're designed in a way to grab your attention. And so mm. you have to corral the tech in order to ensure that it serves you. And, Luke, that's one of the suggestions in digital minimalism, and I think it is this idea that you're a lot more intentional about how you do engage with Mm. your daily rituals and maybe it needs to be regulated. Maybe some of this needs to be regulated from an organisational perspective. When you look at productivity, that's one of the things that really stood out to me in the consumption of social media and I love to put LinkedIn in a slightly different category. I think that's maybe uh, self-serving However, I do think uh, that having some intention about why you're using some of these tools and even email, I would extend it beyond social media and with that transition back to the workplace, really having a look at how your team is spending their time in busy work all day versus meaningful connection and creating solutions and solving customers' problems. I think there's a you know, has this technology really made us more productive? And I think so. I think it's a leadership question, Vanessa. I think it comes down to what does a leader of the of the new age look like? Yeah, absolutely. Needless to say, we uh, we have lots of work on the go in this space at the moment. Um, it's it really does come down to leadership. You know, leadership two thousand and five is not really a thing. Um, we need to make sure that leadership is evolving. Um, to definitely include a lot more science. So um, when I did my dissertation for my master's, uh, a lot of the the research was pointing to the fact that if we give people more science around how their brains are working, how their team's brains are working, recognising that no two brains are the same, um, I look forward to a day where we don't need the word neurodivergent. Every brain is different and every leader should be able to understand how to lead in those situations. So... Uh, really focusing on on the outcomes according to research that um, that have shown is effective leadership. Now, how different leaders get there is completely different. It's kind of like you do you. How do we help you to tap into being the most authentic version of you? But you know, here there is a roadmap that we can give people now for the outcomes that they should be getting as leaders. And if we give them that and kind of make leadership a lot easier then that helps. But we do need to make sure that people understand the science. We need a lot more neuroscience in leadership um, and we need to make sure uh, that that people are able to get outcomes. We have to focus on outcomes-based leadership. Um, I don't care where or how people work, but we have to get outcomes and we have to get performance. And so how do we make sure that leaders have that? I think when you've got people that sit in the office five days a week, your leadership skills can be a little sloppier and that's a bit more forgiving. But when they don't, that's a less forgiving environment. So we need to make sure that leaders are really equipped for that. We need to make sure that people take responsibility for this, even around the culture side of things and normalising feedback, you know, leadership Leadership 2005 is let's let's coach people on how to have difficult conversations, whereas leadership now is 
Like there are no difficult conversations. We've normalized it. We're going to disagree and disagreement is awesome. That's how we get creativity. That's how we get new ways of doing things. And just because someone disagrees with you is not bullying. So, but we need to formalize that up front and we need to normalize it before it becomes a thing. It's just a way of let's get discussion going and, and doing that. So being really on the front foot, you know, because I mean, let's face it, a, a, a difficult conversation takes cognitive energy. No one wants that. If you've got a team of people that have to have a lot of difficult conversations, like your team is draining their cognitive energy and on a really fast track to burnout. So if we can help them to, um, to make sure that people don't have to have difficult conversations anymore because they're set up for that. So there's a whole lot of this science that we can now take to make leadership a lot easier. Um, but we do need to make sure that we, we people have the skills to do that. And I think coaching the emerging leaders as well. There's, there's probably not been as much investment in emerging leaders previously as what we think there have been. Luckily, we're seeing it change now. Um, but, you know, often when we're coaching senior leaders, a lot of their issues could have gone away if they had have coached the emerging leaders better in the first place. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think I think that's kind of, that's really what we need to do. We need to have better leadership, better science and people, you know, we really deserve to have access to that because it makes people's life easier. I think you hit, hit the nail on the head about we've got to train these emerging leaders, the young ones up because they are they, the managers in the future. And if they haven't got the resilience or if they're too sensitive to feedback, well, then that's going to change things in the future. So it's important to, to, um, train them now and and that's that's not going to be easy because actually a lot of managers are actually afraid to give constructive feedback because takes, to, to vanessa's point it takes emotional energy to brace yourself as a manager if you're not skilled or if you're expecting the the backlash to actually have those conversations yeah and, it, and it's when we don't have those conversations or it hasn't been, I mean, ideally you have great leadership framework set up as a starting point. So people know exactly what they can say. When you think about it, you know, imposter syndrome, or when you think about, um, you know, most leaders, when they're first put into leadership roles, they were just really good at their job. And all of a sudden they're managing people. And so most leaders spend all of their cognitive energy second guessing themselves. Can, oh, can I say that? That person did this. What should my response be? Da, 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 da. Instead of just going, here's your roadmap, here's your culture, go. And, and the reason that those conversations, so if, if the frameworks aren't set up in the first place and then those conversations that need to be had aren't had, that's where we're getting all the issues around productivity and profitability. It's all of these people second-guessing themselves and workflow um, bottlenecks and all of these kind of things that are creating you know, massive drains on productivity and profitability. And, you know, that's a bit that we need to really focus on. Mm. Lots, of, lots of big issues. We're kind of starting to get towards the end of our conversation and this might be a great opportunity to just go around the room in terms of um, people that are, that are left in the conversation and just um, have a share some thoughts about what we can do um, coming into the next year to to create better leadership outcomes. Karen, do you want to kick it off? To celebrate leadership outcomes? Was I got the first part of the question. Oh, just, just what your thoughts are for what we could we could do to improve leadership outcomes and in, improve things coming into sort of the next yeah. the next year or, or two. And, I really and kind like of come at it from your your perspective and yeah, your Yeah, so I really like what Vanessa talked about in terms of great leadership framework. And I think leadership leadership comes down to, in the context of the things I care about, digital habits and how people are engaging with their work meaningfully when they're at work and what the expectations are of them. So I think this idea of mapping the culture, mapping the way we do things around here, being really explicit, and that will in many ways make a return to work for people a lot easier especially those who haven't been there for a while or maybe haven't spent a bit of time there or don't necessarily know the rules of engagement. And I really like this idea of it being at that 
you said emerging leader, Vanessa, so I'd be interested in sort of what the definition of that is, but I feel like everyone has to manage stakeholders. And so it's in some ways, Christina, I move back to being a little bit more, I don't know if it's prescriptive, but in the in the process of being clear with people about how they show up at work and how they engage with their digital tools, it's helping people be more effective in their roles. So I'd like to see more of that. Marina, your thoughts for next year? And um, I think we need to be clarity. That's a great word um, in leadership. Be clear to what you need and what, what we're working towards. You know, we're working towards, if you're working for me or you, we're working towards growing something, let's, do you believe in it? Um, let's all believe in what we're doing and come together um, understand one another. Yeah, we're going to have good days. We're going to have bad days. Um, but we can't pussyfoot around each other. We just need to let's get the job done and enjoy life and go back to connecting, connecting our staff, connecting our organizations, looking at one another. If there's a bad day, there's a bad day. And as a leader, I'm going to say, you know, today's your bad day. That's it's okay. Tomorrow will be a better day. Let's work on why it was a bad day today. And We'll fix this, you know, and we can't do that unless our leaders are connected to us. And I think face to face and a little bit more in office, in interconnected rather than disconnected. Thanks, Marina. Luke, your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Christina. Um, I'll just address Karen's uh, emerging lead effect. I would imagine it would be any anyone coming newly onto the scene uh, as a leader to when, when you ask the question around what, what do you mean by an emerging leader? Uh, and then on my path there around the experience I've had with leaders uh, in my past, the ones that have always had um, absolute success would be the ones that have really, really spent a lot of time, um, workshops and energy um, on uh, – on, on building a, a, a like trust and an understanding of of all of their members outside of work and outside of the actual um, task and remits at hand they've uh, they've been vulnerable as well um, and they've I guess they've given more of of their humane side rather than just their role within the organization and 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 obviously look everyone within that unit and cohort is moving towards one vision one mission one goal but the ones that have really showed i think a lot of success have have like genuinely authentically have cared uh, about their team and that and they've shown that just outside of the workplace i think um in a big way um you know business is business but but we're all humans, eh? We all have emotions, we all have feelings, and I think, yeah, those are the leaders that I look at and go, "Wow, that's someone that that genuinely cares." So I, that, that that that's what I'll say. I'll leave it there. Lovely, thank you, Vanessa. Final words? Yeah, I think to pick up on um, some of the great points that Karen and and Marina and Luke said as well. It's like you know this idea of clarity. You know, if you look at it from a science perspective, from neuroscience, the brain hates ambiguity. It, make, it goes into overdrive trying to make sense of it. Now, we need some ambiguity in certain environments to promote creativity, et cetera, et cetera, but we don't need ambiguity in can I say that or what did that person mean by that? That's That doesn't make any sense. So we, we spend, if you put people in an MRI machine who are trying to make sense of ambiguity, their brain is literally exploding, overspending cognitive energy. So as a leader, we always say in our workshops, you need to remove ambiguity, remove ambiguity, remove ambiguity. And when you've done that, go back and remove some more ambiguity because um, that seems to be where things are going awry. Um, and I think, you know, to Karen's point, yeah, and that whole emerging leaders, like, I mean, we think everyone in an organisation is a leader. We should be leading ourselves, leading others, leading clients, et cetera, even by influence. But I think anyone who even looks like they might have a team under them at some point in time, even if it's just one or two people, I think if we can get them at that stage so that they can hit the ground running and make sure that they're feeling really supported coming into those new roles, um, that's massive. And we'll save um, the leaders above them and the leaders above them and the leaders above them a lot 
more cognitive energy so they can spend time on the stuff that really makes sense to them um, because they're not fighting fires and and putting out these things that quite frankly good leaders lower down the ranks really should have dealt with so i think more science and i think better coaching of emerging leaders so they feel really supported and we can create clarity clarity and clarity and i really think autonomy's gone too far this whole idea of like oh yeah you know now be autonomous and and off you go and then people come back and it's like oh that was not quite what i had in mind okay so we need to provide a little bit more clarity around these guardrails of yeah you come to me with what you're thinking but we need to make sure that we're collaborating and checking in as we go because we're seeing so much rework which is draining productivity and profitability again. Thank you, Vanessa. Judith, your final words for this year. Well, not quite. They won't be your final words for this year, but. <laughs> well, I think everybody's nailed it as far as, you know, their suggestions. So I, I would really just sort of um, end it by saying what I'd like to see in the new year is people being responsible for their own um, progression, that it's not up to one person or people to make you successful, be responsible for it yourself as we take that responsibility and, and stop being the victim. I can't do this because of this. I can't do that because of that. Taking responsibility. Um, I also think that we're, we need to, we need to um, speak up because we get caught in social contagions that, um, you know, we're, oh, I need to think this way because this is what's trending out here. This, I need to think that if you don't think that way, if you don't believe it, don't just go along with this, with the, with the group, speak up and, and say your piece because you can't make change um, if you don't speak up and you'll let change happen if you don't speak up. And so, and it might not be the change that you want, so I'd, I really would like to see people in the new year um, get the courage to speak up about what they don't believe in, what they don't want to see, what they do want to see. And, um, you know, because if you don't, well, then you're, you get what you get. Karen? A very simple little message for the new year. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much to everybody for their oh, she... <laughs> for your contribution. Um, it's been a great year for Judith and I doing our first year of Every Step podcast. Um, we're excited to try a few new things in the new year and um, we've loved having everybody's engagement, everybody's perspective, everybody's wisdom, and we wish everybody uh, a wonderful and safe holiday period and uh, we'll be back next year and a merry christmas <laughs> for more information about every step and our guests head to everysteppodcast.com to be notified of new podcasts please subscribe via your favorite listening platform and of course follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics